Welcome to the Women Want Strong Men podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stuttle. I believe it takes a strong man to appreciate a strong woman, and I'm here to bring a unique perspective to empower both sexes. I love talking with health experts, thought leaders, influencers, and people who have insightful information to share with us about our health, our society, and our pursuit for success and prosperity. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Today, you're about to get educated on mold, and you're going to like it and be obsessed with it, and you're going to be running all around your house after this podcast looking for it. To educate us, I have an air quality expert and wellness advocate, Michael Rubino, on the show. Michael is helping to bridge the gap between our homes and their direct impact on our health. He is the founder and chairman of Home Cleanse, a company dedicated to addressing the worldwide health epidemic caused by poor indoor air quality. His Company has an impressive advisory team, which includes global well-being trailblazers, Dr. Deepka Chopar and Gwyneth Paltrow. Michael specializes in working with people who are immunocompromised or have acute and sustained reactions to mold exposure, and he has helped thousands of families. In an effort to share his expert knowledge, Michael has authored the book, The Mold Medic, an expert's guide on mold removal, and is an ongoing contributor to Mind Body Green. He has been featured on Gwyneth Paltrow's The Goop podcast, Live Strong, Forbes, Market Watch, and USA Today. So welcome to the show, Michael. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Okay, so you don't know how I found you, but I'm going to tell you now. So I have a farm with a cabin on it, and the contractor did not properly install the stone on the exterior of the house properly, and water oh. yeah, was seeping down between the stone and the plywood on the exterior of the house. Well, we discovered this when one week when we walked in and there were mushrooms growing in between my hardwood floor. I literally about died. I mean, I'm talking massive mushrooms, like the biggest mushrooms I've ever seen in my whole entire life. So we ripped off the exterior wall and the drywall and the insulation and the two by fours are all rotting and disgusting and black. And I am officially traumatized and I know I'm being exposed to mold and I'm going to need your help. So we're going to start with why should I be concerned with this? Well, you know, it's really interesting. You know, there's so many reports that come out every day that talk about how air quality affects our health. I mean, it it really creates different streams of havoc on our lives. You know, some people get early onset of dementia, inhalational Alzheimer's. Some people can get cancer. The BBC just released a bombshell report that says one out of six people who've had cancer is due to poor air quality. So it's really interesting to kind of understand where in which, how much we're identifying what actual is causing our health symptoms and how important air quality is to that piece of the puzzle. But for many folks, there's toxicity issues, there's inflammation, there's brain fog, chronic fatigue, just a general sense of feeling unwell. I think one thing we learned through COVID is that we can be exposed to the same thing and have wildly different reactions, right? Like my wife lost her sense of taste and smell. I didn't. I had fever. She didn't, right? So everybody reacts differently to different things, but we're learning some pretty interesting effects of how really important air quality is to our health. And what does mold look like? Is it always the same color? Can it show up in, like in my case, I had mushrooms. Walk us through that. 
Well, I can tell you this. I've only had a handful of times in my career, and I've been to thousands of homes, seen mushrooms on the wall. So oh, great. That is, that is bad, <laughs> just to really highlight that. Typically, you're seeing like black fuzzy stuff, white fuzzy stuff, gray, brown, green. It can be red and orange and pink. I mean, it really can be some interesting uh, color spectrums here. But typically, you kind of notice it because it's this fuzzy raised growth that you're seeing on your walls or on beams and things of that nature. So one thing we know for sure is whether you're seeing that mushrooms, et cetera, you want to take care of it. So you always hear about black mold. So is black mold worse than other types of mold? Is it always showing up in the color black? You know, I think one of the big things we hear about black mold is that we know black mold is toxic. And that, you know, typically when we hear about black mold, there are two species that come to mind. It's gatomium and it's Stachybotrys chitarum. And with Ketomium and Stachybotrys, yes, they're pretty much black in color. But we don't want to have this false sense of security that other types of mold are okay. And I think that's really the, the problem. The main reason with that is even if other molds are not toxic, they can still produce toxins, which are toxic. Just because the mold itself isn't toxic doesn't mean that it can't produce some harmful contaminants that you really don't want to be breathing in. And this isn't like meant to scare people. It's just if you see something, you want to do something about it. And I think that's really giving people that information and that education is just going to increase uh, our well-being. So where are some of the sneakiest places that mold can hide? Because I know I hate plastic water bottles or these plastic sports cups, but I broke down and let my son get that new Gatorade one that like, you know, you pop the little Gatorade pods or whatever, and they can make their own drinks. Well, he had this Gatorade bottle for, I don't just a couple of weeks. I look at the bottom. I'm like, wait a minute, there's mold growing in there already. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I'm like, sorry, but I'm not going to be the cool mom. I threw it away. But where are some of the places that you're not expecting mold to show up? Mold can be insidious and it can be very, very sneaky and unfortunately uh, unwanted in this guest in our home that can inhabit so many different things. Attics, I would say, are, are a place that we don't go to a lot. We typically store stuff up there, especially if we store cardboard up there. It's going to be more prone to humidity and moisture intrusion and allowing that cardboard to remain wet longer than 24 to 48 hours. We can have stuff like mold grow. Wood, obviously, being semi-porous, holds some moisture. So if we have high humidity up there, not enough ventilation, mold will grow. Of course, roof leaks, uh, another big concern in your attic. It also grows commonly in subgrade spaces like basements and crawl spaces. Crawl spaces that typically another space like our attic, we don't go to frequently, but unfortunately, you know, 30% of the air that we breathe inside of our home comes from the lowest point of our home. So that would be your crawl space. That would be your basement. So even if you don't go down there, having a problem down there is still going to affect the air that you're breathing upstairs. So it's really important to always make sure, you know, the top part of your house is, is safe. The bottom part of your house is safe. That's going to drastically improve your air quality if you do so. Some of the other spots like kitchens and bathrooms, I think everybody kind of suspects those areas. We've all seen mold in our tile and growing inside of our grout and things. Underneath sink cabinets, you know, vanities, the kitchen sink, the bathroom sinks, sometimes leaks happen. And if we're not constantly checking, you know, underneath our cabinetry, it's something that's easily missed. You could have a small little drip that creates a tiny big problem. And I think that, you know, from there we have appliances. HVAC equipment can grow mold. Even if we have good filters on them, most of the filters that we have aren't 
high efficient enough to remove these tiny particles like mold because it can be between two and four microns. That becomes a problem. Coffee makers and coffee machines, I know it just crushed some souls right now because I, you know, we all love our coffee, but coffee makers have rubber gaskets in them that stop the flow of water and start the flow of water. And when those rubber gaskets trap moisture, it has an ability to, for mold to grow. So I think, you know, paying attention to these things, making sure we clean them regularly, making sure we they dry regularly, especially where those coffee grinds go, it can be pretty disgusting. Washing machines, dishwashers, last time you've ever checked your dishwasher filter, some people may not even know that they have one until they just heard this, <laughs> I think is, is really important. And I know this is dreadful because I've just gave you so many things to check, but it's really important because when you buy a home or when you rent a home, nobody gives you a guidebook of, hey, check all these spots and make sure you keep them clean. And if they did, we're human and we're going to make mistakes. But if we're aware of things and we're on top of things, at least we know how to check or where to look for when we think there's a problem. So let's talk about the coffee maker for a second. So how do you recommend people clean that? And I'm not a coffee drinker, so I don't really know, but I see my husband do it. Like, do you recommend leaving the lid open after they're done using it? And maybe talk about the traditional coffee maker versus like those little pod Keurig coffee makers. Yeah. I mean, I used to have a Keurig back in the day and uh, those things get pretty moldy pretty quick. So I could, I could tell you I've ended up tossing those. The problem with that is you have the water reservoir tank that you fill up and you leave kind of sitting there. And if you don't drink coffee frequently, that water can sit there for many days at a time, allowing for mold to opportunistically get inside of there and begin to grow. We also have those rubber hoses. So I'll, I'll never forget, you know, I had a uh, Keurig coffee maker. It probably lasted me about a year or so. And one day I make a cup of coffee and I go to take a sip just like I would any other day. And I'm just instantly drinking mold, right? Like you had to have been there at some point in your life where you're like, this is disgusting. And so immediately spit it out, ended up like taking it apart and, you know, finding mold growing in there. It just became one of those things where sayonara, it's time for a new coffee maker. Unfortunately, I got a different coffee maker, one that you grind the beans and a little safer because they're, they have a lot more compartments to clean, but wife and I went away on vacation forgot to empty out the grinds. Again, we're human beings here and nothing's perfect and came back from vacation and there was mold growing all inside the unit, all over the grinds. And so this one was a little more expensive than the Keurig. So it hurt even more, but had to make that <laughs> tough decision of throwing it away because, you know, unfortunately, once it gets into nooks and crannies that you just can't access, you don't really have a choice. So the best thing to do is take them apart as much as they come apart let them dry every once in a while. If you know that you're going to have water in there for many days at a time, don't put as much water into it. So you're allowing that tank to empty and then take apart that tank and let it air dry so that you're getting a change of water and you're removing any spores that could be in that water that would start to opportunistically grow. I found mold also when my son used to have a sippy cup and those little I don't know, those little toppers that fold up and down that they drink out of. And I flipped one open and happened to look in there and I could see the mold inside there. I about died. I could not believe it that I was filling up the sippy cup and there was mold in there and I had no idea. So that's like another sneaky place. I don't know if you heard about that news story, but like, you know, those little baby giraffe toys that like chew giraffe toys that babies oh, love for yeah. chewing? Yeah. 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 Well, someone started cutting them open because they started smelling or getting weird, found just mold growing all inside of them. So, you know, we just got to be careful because rubber is obviously great at, it's an easy thing to clean. It's great, but it also can trap moisture if it gets wet and it doesn't fully air dry, especially like on the inside of things. 
And when you have trap moisture, mold will certainly grow. And so the sippy cup, same thing. They have this rubber gasket so that when your loved one throws the cup across the room, it's minimizing the spillage, but that's going to have to, you know, be dried out properly and taken apart properly. When you clean those things, fully disassembling them, putting them in the dishwasher, taking them out, making sure they fully air dry. That's the best way to prevent mold there. And sometimes these sippy cups are not engineered that way to be able to come fully apart. And so you just want to be mindful of that. I think that's exactly the thing because we're getting this cheap junk plastic. And even if you put it in the dishwasher and you get it out, it's still really hard to get that thing completely dry. I don't know if it's just me, but it feels like that water is just sitting on there for hours and hours. You're like, oh my gosh, is this thing ever going to dry? Even if you're trying to hand dry it, it's a real pain. So let's talk about the washer for a second, because you kind of said something to the effect of like, you know, once there's spores there, it's really hard to get rid of. So if you have mold in your washing machine and you're putting your clothes in there to get it clean, are those spores then getting onto your clean clothes? Yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, I mean, I think that's really important to always uh, maintain your washing machine. If you have a front loading washing machine, God help you. I have one right now and it's just in the house that I'm renting. They're poorly designed. Let's just put it that way. So for those that don't know, a front loading washing machine, you open the front of the washing machine and put all your clothes in instead of the retro style of the top. And while it looks prettier, the retro style of the top is a better design because they have another rubber gasket, you know, as I'm going to teach you, rubber gaskets are a plus and a gift and a curse, if you will. This rubber gasket stops the water from falling out on the floor and spilling all over the place, but it has all these folds and creases and that's where the moisture gets trapped. Many times I've, you know, had to open that thing, pull apart the crease and get in there and clean it because, you know, it's just like clockwork every week or two, mold will grow in there. And there's just no way to to fully avoid it. Sometimes the rubber gets worn down and you have to replace the rubber. It really just becomes a pain in maintenance. The other tricky part about front-loading washing machines, they have that tray where you put all the detergents. That thing gets pretty gnarly as well. Um, We got to take that all the way out and clean that every once in a while and clean the cavity that tray sits in because I've seen mold grow in there quite frequently too. So, you know, there's just a lot of things to do and maintain inside of a home, our appliances and our homes and taking care of leaks and staying on top of it. And then we have humidity to be concerned with, HVAC to be concerned with. So, you know, it's really important that we kind of know these things so that we can be proactive instead of reactive. And you mentioned something that I didn't even think of in these crawl spaces, attics, basements, a lot of times where you store these cardboard boxes from a move or whatever. And I never even thought about those things. They're going to take days and days and days to dry if they get wet and you're putting them in the most vulnerable spot in your house. Yeah. And that happens a lot. You know, I go up and I see people's stuff, you know, just in a basement cardboard, just getting super moldy. If it boxes sitting against the drywall, now you'll have mold on the box, you'll have mold on the drywall. I mean, it, it just transfers wherever it can. And especially where there's a food source, where there's a source of moisture, which these spots typically do have some level of humidity. Certain species of mold, it only requires 60% relative humidity or, or higher to begin to grow. In basements and crawl spaces and attics, it can easily get above 60% relative humidity, even if the indoor space 
is not so bad. So it's really important to make sure we have good ventilation. Obviously in a basement, there's not really much ventilation you can do. So you want to switch to a dehumidification strategy to control the moisture as it migrates in. Subgrade spaces are tough because you're underground. Every time it rains, there's that hydrostatic pressure pushing against the block. And if you know anything about water, it always dries to the drier side. So if it's wet outside, it's going to be drying inside. And how it dries, it converts from liquid to vapor. And it comes into the form of vapor, which will increase the humidity reading. So it's unfortunately a science. It's unfortunately microbiology. And it's knowing a bit about those two things, water management, microbiology, and just controlling those things. And that's why I try to do my best to give people actionable information in easy, digestible format because, you know, it can get pretty complex if you let it. So for mold to grow, it needs basically moisture, humidity. That's what's causing the mold to actually grow. Yeah. Yeah. It won't grow without moisture. It's impossible. It's like, it's pretty similar to, to plants, right? We have seeds. If you put a seed on your desk and there's no moisture, that seed is not going to grow into a plant. You put it in wet soil and what happens? That seed germinates and grows into a plant. So, you know, we understand that spores are nothing more than seeds of mold until they're met with moisture to be able to germinate and start to grow and colonize. Once it does that, you know, then it's producing seeds and it's reproducing and it's potentially producing toxins if it's a toxin producing mold. So, you know, these are some of the things that it's important to understand and know that the idea is to control the amount of spores in our environment to minimize the ability for those spores to grow and colonize into living organisms. And if we know that those basics will be a lot better off. So are you recommending a dehumidifier for everyone to put in their basement? What's your recommendation there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think any built basement in America will have some, probably even abroad, is going to have some level of moisture issue. Even if you don't see standing water, it doesn't mean that it's, that that vapor is not entering in. So if you know anything about vapor, you can't see it. It's just something that comes in. And if you've ever, you know, been in your house and you go downstairs and it just feels a little more humid, you kind of know what I mean. You just get that basement feel across your skin. It's just different. That's that vapor that's increasing the humidity that you're feeling. So, you know, you want to basically control that. If you control that, mold can't grow. And if you take away mold's ability to grow, you are the victor. Are there some dehumidifiers that you recommend or do you have them on your website or how do people know which ones to buy? Yeah, I recommend a couple of different options on homecleanse.com. People can go check out and do some due diligence and see if it's right for them. I only really recommend industrial strength ones that have like 10-year warranties. They're a little more expensive than when you would get at Home Depot or Lowe's. The reason being is just they're just better made. They're metal. They have industrial strength tubing, not these please cheap plastic clips that will come apart. You want something that is not going to cause additional problems by leaking. And I think that's key. So having something that really has a robust warranty that something you can really install and not have to worry about, I think is, is much better than going the cheaper route on that. Okay. So you mentioned the HVAC units at my same problem child cabin a couple of weeks ago, the HVAC unit was leaking and went down there and the filter was just completely full of water. I'm like, oh, that's great. That's been going up in the HVAC unit all through the entire house. At our other home, though, I had installed something, I think it's called a APCOX, like some UV light 
thing installed into our HVAC unit. So let's just walk through the problems you can have with your HVAC unit, if there's filters you recommend, and some of these light that they claim kill the mold in your unit. My philosophy is remove, and uh, you do that through filtration. There's tons of strategies like UV lights, which I think UV light positioned on a coil that can help inhibit growth on the surface of the coil, I think is great. But if we're relying on UV technology to kind of kill what's in the air as it passes through, I'm not so confident that that's a good strategy. For one, it takes like 10 to 12 seconds for the UV light to actually kill something. And the big problem there is that, you know, if you think about air, it moves through far too quickly to really kill things as things are passing through. So I have some concerns with feeling too secure with just that technology alone. There's like ionizers and there's hydrogen peroxide radicals that create different particles to, again, try to kill things. I just caution people that we don't really know too much about what happens when a particle is quote unquote killed. We've all seen, you know, CSI shows and things of that nature. And there's always something that gets left behind when something is allegedly killed. There's a natural law in this universe that says matter cannot be created nor destroyed. So the real key kicker is whatever happens to these particles as they are destroyed is going to leave behind, most likely, other smaller particles. And I don't think we know much about how those other smaller particles will impact the human body. And I think the safest option to avoid all of that theory and hypotheses is to just remove them. If we remove them, we keep on top of our dust where these contaminants will typically harbor, we're going to be better off. So is there a certain filter that you recommend that people use or how often should people be changing their filters on their HVAC unit? So I personally love the IntelliPure Super-V. It is a MERV-16 filter with a pressure drop of a MERV-8 which means that you get a more robust filter with less air restriction on the unit, which is a very positive thing. MERV-16 is pretty much the highest in technology that we have today. It could change tomorrow. With the, Obviously, it went from MERV-15 to 16. So we continue to keep engineering better and better filtration you know, as time goes on. That product came out in the marketplace in 2017. It's now 2022. There's other comparable products in the marketplace I tend to stick with things when they're not broken, you know, stick with that. So it's your choice, do your homework and decide what's best for you. But that's a product that I like. And I think the main reason is because it's going to remove the smallest particle possible before it even gets into your unit, which is really, really helpful removing instead of trying to kill, destroy, et cetera. And how often should you be changing your filters? Well, it's going to definitely depend on the filter that you have, you know, those small, like one inch pleated filters. You know, you're going to have to change those every two to three months. Something more robust like this, this will actually last like a year and a half to three years, just depending on how much particulate it's removing. So, you know, when you look at what your one-time investment is and the replacement filters, you're definitely going to save in the long run because the filters are going to last longer. You always want to check your manufacturer's recommendations because every filter is different. Every filter life is different. You want to make sure. I usually change them just a touch shorter than what they recommend. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll have to look into that. So you mentioned you want to see the mold just gone, not kill it, gone. So when somebody sees mold in their house, finds mold in their house, are there steps that they can do to get rid of it? Or do they need to call a company such as yours, the Home Cleanse, to get rid of it? Walk us through that process. Well, the EPA suggests that anything 10 square feet or smaller 
you don't need a professional, right? That's going to be your discretion and your call. Some people are really ultra sensitive. And, you know, when you're really sensitive, you probably just don't want to mess with it at all. But some people may be more uh, adventurous and want to take it on themselves. And I think 10 square feet or less, you don't really need a professional according to all the guidelines and regulations. That's meant there to so that you can take care of smaller stuff and have the confidence and not have to wait on professionals and on all the things that it comes with when you're doing a project. With that being said, obviously, um, cleaning your shower, some mold in the grout, I think there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, you should do that and keep that maintained. If you start to see a bigger problem that requires you know, removing walls, if you've never removed a wall before, you may not want to just start with this one. That's where you can be releasing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of particles into the air if you don't do it correctly. So you're better off being safe than sorry on that aspect. If mold is growing into your wall, it does have roots called hyphae. There's a great video about this on Science Direct, by the way, if you just Google kind of mold. I think that video is called, Should I Eat the Non-Moldy Part of the Moldy Bread? And it kind of <laughs> illustrates how hyphae works. And by the way, the answer is uh, no, you, you do not eat the non-moldy part of the moldy bread. It, it illustrates how mold grows into things and it's going to grow into the wall. And you may only see a small little three-inch patch, but that three-inch patch could stretch feet away with with the actual roots that mold has. So it's really important to make sure you're removing enough building material. Unfortunately, if it's growing into your drywall, if you just try to clean the surface of the wall, it will come back because it's not actually removed. The roots are still there. Be like going to cut off the head of a a weed, it's going to come right back in a very small amount of time. So now you're opening up walls, you're getting into, you know, some construction effects, you know, engineering controls and things of that nature. So just be mindful and really use your best judgment to decide when it's time to call in the, you know, the hired guns who know what they're doing. So I think that people's first reaction when they see mold might be to use bleach to clean it, but that's not really the right answer, is it? It is not. So it's one of those things that we've done for so many years and then we realize new information came to light and bleach is not a great thing to use mold for. And now it's like the damage is done, right? You have a portion of the population that just still using bleach because they just they didn't get that new information. They didn't get that public service announcement update. And then you have the population who obviously is paying attention to that stuff, is aware of the issue and has kind of migrated off of it. There's many different reasons. One, it's going to bleach mold. It's not going to effectively remove it. So it's going to come back, which is what many people have experienced over the years, bleaching their tiles and bleaching their showers, and it just comes right back. But it's also kind of going back to that strategy of let's stop trying to kill it. Let's just remove it. How do we remove it? We pull it by its roots. So we scrub it. We you know, remove any building material if that's where it's growing. If it's growing on wood or on concrete, we got to really scrub it and make sure we're fully removing it from the pores of that wood and concrete. And we want to do it in a way where we're not causing more harm and releasing tons of spores all over the place. To give you a frame of reference, 250,000 spores fit on the head of a pin. That is very, very small. (laughs) So you want to just be mindful of that because, you know, you could be releasing millions of particles into the air when you do certain things, especially when you're not mindful of that. When you're obviously increasing the amount of particles that you're breathing in, that's where the health effects really start to take shape. So let's just talk about a shower, for example. And you see a lot of these mildew mold killer sprays that you can buy. Is there one that you recommend over the other, or do you have any experience with those? 
I like botanical products mainly because they're healthy for you to be breathing in, um, you know, for you to be exposed to, which is a big plus. Chemicals, we, we know that chemical exposure comes with some health risks. It says so on the safety data sheets on all the products that we use. Most of us don't read those things, unfortunately. One of the things that I think is really important is, you know, the product that I like happens to be called Benefact Decon 30. Why do I like it? Because it is thyme oil, so derivative from thyme, and it is soap, and it is water. And I know people think like water, mold loves water, because it, it basically is a mixing agent to be able to mix with everything to uh, scrub it down and remove it. The water won't matter if you actually remove it all. And I think that's really the important thing. And of course, you know, you're not using so much water that you're destructive. You're using just enough to kind of pull everything out, clean it and let it air dry. So that process in and of itself, it's a lot safer. Certain chemicals can cause uh, mold to feel threatened to produce mycotoxins. Mold does produce mycotoxins as a self-defense mechanism, as a way of surviving in our ecosystem. So we want to be mindful to make it feel less threatened, just pulling it by the roots and getting rid of it as the best strategy. Okay, good information. So with COVID, these air purifiers became very popular. And I feel like all the, we bought them for the clinics and you see them in dental offices, people's houses, et cetera, et cetera. What are your thoughts on those? And do you recommend people using those in their living space? Yeah. So, you know, the IntelliPure Super V I recommended earlier, it serves two purposes. It's a filter for the HVAC, also turns the HVAC into a gigantic air purifier. What is an air purifier? It's a vacuum with a filter. So it's sucking air in, it's trapping particles in the filter, and it's, you know, putting the clean air back out. So what is it going to do? It's going to help remove particles that are aerosolized, um, which will definitely lessen the amount of dust you're creating, definitely lessen the amount of cleaning that's needed. So there's definitely some positives. If we live in a moldy environment, though, and we just try to set up air purifiers everywhere and think that's going to solve the problem, unfortunately, it's not. You're going to have sources of mold that could be creating more particles than your air purifiers are able to remove, which is going to impact your breathing. So I think it's really important that we use these things to support our homes. We don't use them as band-aids. I know some people are renters and, and in bad situations and just need to get by. And so like I understand, you know, you got to do what you got to do to limit your exposure as much as possible. But you have to remember that the road ahead of you requires you getting out of that bad situation and into a better one. And the air purifier is, is not going to do that, you know. So I think it's really important just to know that it's a tool in the tool belt, but it is not the only tool. So you've seen some pretty crazy health things with people that have been exposed to mold. Do you maybe want to tell us a story or two before I ask you some questions about your company? Sure. So one of the craziest stories even today, her name was Shannon. Shannon's a mother of three. She's a wife. She was somebody who was severely sick. It was a couple of years after a leak had happened. She just slowly, her health started to decline. She was a nurse practitioner. She got so sick that she couldn't, could no longer practice as a nurse practitioner, unfortunately. She ended up getting so sick that she was, you know, bedridden in a wheelchair. She actually had to get a GJ feeding tube installed into her lower intestine to essentially give her the nutrients to keep her alive. If you search for my YouTube channel, you can find Shannon or her story. It's pretty remarkable to watch because I don't think people really have a, a good understanding of how bad this can get if we don't take air quality seriously. 
definitely affects mental health and quality of life without a doubt. What's crazy about this, and this is good news, because sometimes we don't really highlight good news, is that within seven days of Shannon moving out of her house, so she moved out of her house so we can work on her house and fix her house, she was able to remove the GJ feeding tube. For years, she couldn't hold her kids. She was able to hold her kids. She was walking again. I mean, just a crazy transformation. Shannon was gracious enough to share a bunch of photos and really take the time to share her story just to enlighten people on, you know, it was never something they thought about, never something that they thought that would be a problem for them until it was. And sharing that her story was just such a remarkable thing because it's putting yourself out there, which it can be pretty scary, but she wanted to do that in the best interest of helping to avoid anyone from having similar issues. So it's a remarkable story to check out and you know, just be aware. And again, I never try to promote fear, but I think it's it's really important because I think air quality is a bigger missing link of the puzzle than we probably acknowledge today. So was her house a severe case of mold then or what'd you find there? To be honest, look, there wasn't growing mushrooms. We didn't see Great. visible mushrooms. So I'll, t- I'll tell you that. <laughs> what no, other good not, news do you have, Michael? <laughs> they got some more good news. It's pretty insane because, yes, like there were some pretty bad spots. You, you saw some really uh, obvious signs that there was some water intrusion. But the crazy part about it is you didn't really know much until you started opening things up. And the only reason we identified it is through testing. You know, she got the dust test. She tested her home. She was able to identify different issues going on in her home that were happening behind her walls that she would have never known. She got an inspection. They figured out where it was all coming from. From there, we were able to create a plan of, of fixing it for her. But when you first walked into her house, you would have never guessed. And that's why I said mold can be so insidious. It, it tends to hide. It's behind walls. It's behind ceilings. It's in our HVAC. It's in places we we don't often look. And I think with technology that we have today, utilizing PCR technology, you can go out and, and test your home on your own, see what you're exposed to and look for abnormalities. Let's go into that. So the dust test is a PCR test that people can order from where and tell us what it does. So they can go to the dusttest.com. Super simple. It is PCR technology, so it actually speciates. It's looking at DNA of what's there. Very similar to the technology we use to identify COVID through COVID testing. So it's a DNA type of technology. You can quantify what's there. You can speciate what's there. And you're looking at abnormalities, right? You're always going to have some level of mold. But the types of mold that you have is important because some molds are only going to grow in heavy water damage conditions. And also the quantities are important. How much am I breathing in, right? If I were to take a breath outside, how much mold spores would I be breathing in with every breath versus how many inside? And I think that's really important. And PCR technology tests the dust in this case, which I found very interesting. And the reason we kind of came up with this idea of how do we get people the information they need readily available is mainly because the traditional way was you just call somebody and they do some air tests. Well, for those that don't know, air tests have two challenges. One, they only really pick up a three-foot radius. So to test your home as a screening tool with an air test, you'd need way more testing than, than what a person would want to afford. The second reason that kind of creates the problem is a lot of what we breathe in is actually bound in our dust. And air testing picks up isolated spores. Our dust is too big to actually get trapped into the slides, which are identified through microscopy, which means you look under a microscope and you literally are counting and seeing what's there. 
if you are not picking up spores that are settled within your dust and the majority of spores that we're in contact with are going to be in our dust, that's a problem. And if you've ever sat on a couch on a sunny day and you saw that ray of light peer through and you saw all that stuff floating in the air, you know what I'm talking about, right? That's a lot of what we're breathing in. So the idea of testing with your dust to screen your home came about. And since then, we've been able to really uh, capture things that are hidden that we might not have uh, noticed before. So this is like a dust rag or a Swifter and people just go around the random parts of their house and collect this and then mail it back? That's exactly right. It basically looks like a sanitized Swiffer cloth. It comes sealed wrapped, pre-sanitized by the laboratory. It gets shipped. You open it for the first time. You're using gloves. You're collecting dust. You're putting it back into the sealed envelope. It goes right to the lab. Lab analyzes it and tells us what's there, which I think is really helpful because if we see a problem based upon the results... Then we can give a professional a call and say, hey, this is what's abnormally high. Can you help me find where this is coming from? That's when we start bringing in inspectors and inspecting the home, looking for signs of moisture, testing those areas to see if that data correlates to help us build a plan of what to do. So does the homeowner get the results as well? Or those go back to, you mentioned you, your company? Yeah. So the homeowner buys it. Homeowner does their own testing goes right to the lab. Homeowner gets the results of what's in their home. There's a free consultation that they get with it to just help explain what the results mean. A lot of people might not know what SE slash MG means. Um, So they're trying to get an education on what it is that we found and then go from there on what are the next steps that someone might take or gives you that peace of mind that there are no steps to take, which is, you know, always a nice thing. And your company, Home Cleanse, I know you're physically located in Florida, but is your company nationwide? How does that work if somebody wants to use you? My company is nationwide. We have three main hubs, as we call them. One's in uh, New Jersey in the greater New York City area. One is in uh, Tampa, Florida. and just covers the entire you know Southeast U.S. And one's in Anaheim, which covers LA. And we go up to San Francisco, down to San Diego, et cetera, pretty much covering, essentially splitting apart the US. We're licensed in the seven states that require licensing. We're certified nationally too. So even if a state doesn't require license, we still have a certification nationally for that as well. We have our own school where we train our own people. We're working on turning that school over to the public so it can be trained people that maybe can't afford remediation, maybe need to take on some tasks themselves. We at least want them to have the tools and resources to do so. We're trying to end suffering from environmental exposures. And we understand that that's a tall order. It's a big, big shoes to fill there. We want to create as much resources, technology, solutions, et cetera, to be able to provide to people. So we're in the St. Louis market. Would you be covering the St. Louis area? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that's great information. Can you tell us a little bit more on what makes your company's technique a little bit different than some of the companies that we might find in our area? Like what's your differentiator? Yeah, I probably should have started with my story, which would help tie that in pretty nicely. You know, essentially my dad's been a restoration contractor since I'm five years old. We're talking 30 years ago. I've been uh, really around construction my entire life. I worked with my dad in the summer times, especially in high school, college, worked with my dad after college. And it was right around Hurricane Sandy when I got back from college, started seeing a pattern of people getting sick. 
And I really never connected any dots with that. I never thought that construction and homes and mold, that there was some sort of health piece there. I just thought, you know, mold smells funny. It doesn't look great. We want to get rid of it. But I didn't really start to understand that the health effects that it had until I really started seeing with my own two eyes. And I think once I started realizing that pattern, I said, well, what is it about mold and mold remediation in general that can be so problematic? Because a lot of people after Sandy, there's these homes were already supposedly remediated. For those uh, that don't know, when we have a natural disaster, people come from everywhere to just opportunistically make money off that disaster. Right? It's sad, but it's true. When that happens, there's just people hiring people off the street, putting them in people's homes with very minimal training and just ripping homes apart. And we talked about how that could potentially cross-contaminate and some of those things. And that's what happens. And then we build over it. There's no testing methodologies in place to make sure that it's safe before you start to reconstruct, et cetera, et cetera. So people get sick. When I kind of put all that together, I realized that there's two fundamentals that we're not thinking about in the mold industry, and that's that there's an organism, and then there's particles and toxins created by that organism. So the industry standards do a great job you know, of protecting yourself, protecting people, removing that organism. And I think that's a pretty standard. And unfortunately, it's not a very well-regulated standard. So people say things and don't do things. It's a little bit of the Wild West there. But we don't talk much about the particles and toxins. It just doesn't happen. If you go read the IICRC S520, you read the EPA guidelines, there's not a whole lot mentioned about, you know, if there's mold in your basement, do you need to clean your second floor? And the reality of it is that you probably do, especially if you're sensitive. You want to remove the particulates and toxins that have been created as long as you've had mold there. So my process goes really three times more thorough than what industry standards are because we're doing this for health reasons. And we understand that not everybody will see the value in paying a little more to get a better result or more thoroughness. But you know we're there for the people that really need us. And the people that really need us are the ones that do understand how important it is to go above and beyond. And that's what they're looking for. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I have a feeling you and I are going to be in touch because I am not confident with my mushroom removal from my cabin. So this has been on my mind for a while. Like I said, that's how I found you. So it was great getting educated on all things mold from you. I really appreciate your time and thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. We'll have to get you a dust test to confirm or deny, you know, your 1, beliefs. 1,000%. And we will keep the listeners updated on what my results find. And I'm scared. I'm going to be honest. I'm very scared about it. And it's normal to be scared. But, you know, we have data for a reason. Data tells us what to do. And I think if we get the data, we'll understand what it means. We'll be able to figure out next steps. And that, that's what, what I'm here for. You know, that's what makes it easier is just knowing what to do. Well, I know your information is going to be helpful for a lot of people. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me.